enriching your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey, it's Amy Newmark with the special Friend Friday episode today. You're going to meet Zibby Owens. So Zibby has become one of the most well-known book reviewers in the country over the last couple of years. You might have seen her recommending books on Good Morning America, or you might have listened to or watched her on her award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. She's been called New York City's most powerful bookfluencer, and she seems to get an interview with every best-selling author these days. It's really impressive. And she has a new book that came out on February 16th, the same day as our book about making me time. And it's on a related theme because her book is called Moms Don't Have Time To. And then it's an anthology of stories from a lot of really well-known writers about what moms don't have time to do during the quarantine. And these writers are all in what I would like to call Zibby's literary salon, which is really like a very old style of reference, but it's what she has put together online and sometimes in person when we're not in the pandemic. And I love this book because it has a lot of great advice in it about self-care and making me time and navigating life during the quarantine or during other challenges. Zibby has four kids, ages 13 down to age six. She's a graduate of Yale for undergrad and Harvard for her MBA. And Zibby, I'm so pleased to have you. Welcome to the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. Thank you, Amy. I'm so excited to be here with you. Well, I had been hearing about you, oh gosh, for the last couple of years. I remember we did a book with Deborah Norville a couple of years ago. And I said to Deborah, do you know Zibby Owens? Because it would be really great if we could get this book on you know, Zibby's podcast and she didn't know you. And I just thought it was so unattainable to be reviewed by Zibby Owens. And so <laughs> when you contacted us, I was so excited. I mean, I was like, oh my God, we have made it into the big time. Oh. Zibby Owens <laughs> is interested in our book, our Chicken Soup for the Soul book. And I've just had so much fun reading your book. And I think it's so cool that yours and mine are coming out the same day. But before we talk about your really great book, I just wanted to talk about your evolution as a book reviewer and a podcaster. And how did you get started doing this? And it was kind of audacious. You just started booking interviews with all these famous authors. So just walk us through this process. Audacious is one word. <laughs> I think at the time it was... Uh either foolish or I don't know. It was such a lark. I just did this so randomly and I never thought it would really turn into anything. And every day I continue to be baffled by what's happened. I was just writing parenting essays. I had four kids. I was newly divorced. I had some extra time on my hands and I was reading a lot as I always do. And as I always have and writing a lot as I always do and always have. And my husband one night said, you know, you should really take all those parenting essays and try to sell them as a book. And so I turned to him and I was like, moms don't have time to read books. And then I was like, oh, that's so funny. I'll just name my book. That's what, that'll be the title of my book. So I mentioned it to a few people I knew peripherally in the publishing world who said that they didn't think that publishers would find that funny at all. And also that I didn't have any sort of recognition in the industry at all. And how could I possibly sell a book? 
And at the same time, I went to coffee with a girlfriend and she said, you know, you should really have a podcast. And I was like, well, what's a podcast? And I went home after she told me we were at school drop-off that day. And I sat on my couch with my husband and I'm like, how do you find podcasts? Like, where is the button on my phone to even find them? So anyway, eventually we found the podcast button and I started researching other podcasts to see, well, if I did one, what would it even be? And I was like, well, I'll just use that title that I was going to use for the book. And my first thought was to read articles and portions of books that I love because I'm always, I don't know about you, Amy, I'm like always tearing out articles that I think are great or forwarding them or mailing them or whatever. And then I realized that that was illegal. So <laughs> I was like, well, I guess I'll just try interviewing authors directly. And at the time, I don't know, I knew like two or three authors who I had always really idolized and everything. And I was like, well, I'll start with them and I'll just see what happens. Why not? So I literally went into my bedroom one day and Googled like easiest podcast app on the planet or something like that. And I recorded the first episode in my phone. And then I did it and I loved it. I my first episode was with a friend of mine from business school who's also a novelist named Lee Carpenter and I just got to sit there uninterrupted for half an hour hearing her story and I was like this is amazing. I love doing this. So that's how it started and I started once a week and I continued to ramp up and now I do five a week. Sometimes I do these blasts. This week I launched about 20 episodes, so I just love it. I like just I just adore it. So that's how it started. So I caught something that you said. You said, I was newly divorced and I had four kids and I had time on my hands. And I was thinking, I've never heard anyone else say that <laughs> because most people would say, I was so busy. I had no time to do anything. I couldn't even brush my teeth, but you had time on your hands to start a podcast. So kudos to you. You have a very high energy level, which is fabulous. I think it must've been so much fun for you just to contact authors who you, you know, people are like, well, who would you want to have at a dinner party? You just got to call them up and have a podcast with them, right? Well, at first, not everybody was saying yes. <laughs> but yes, I tried. I had like a little wish list from the beginning. I was like, well, if this, you know, if I had, if, it, if my dreams came true, who would I have on this podcast? And some people said yes, but a lot of people said no at first. And then as my audience grew, more people started saying yes. And now I'm like inundated with people trying to get on the show, which is so crazy. I mean, sometimes I'm literally like, I cannot believe this has happened. <laughs> so what is what is your average week like now? Because you obviously have to read these books or at least portions of these books, and then you have to record the podcast. So what do you do Monday through Friday to get your podcast going? And I know you're also working now on, you know, all the publicity surrounding your book, but when you're not launching a book, what's your normal week like? It's really busy. <laughs> I have managed to overly fill even the days I don't have the kids now, which I guess is good. But I wake up really early and I am either doing my daily posts on social media at first, or I'm reviewing the book I'm doing that day, or I'm just, from the minute I wake up, I'm, I'm doing stuff until essentially the minute I go to bed where I continue to read until I fall asleep. And the day is, you know, racing, the, getting the kids ready and breakfast and packing lunches and dropping them at school. And then I run back home and I try to do podcasts in the morning as much as I can. Lately, they've been in remote school, so it hasn't really made a difference, but I do at least eight podcasts usually a week. And so, you know, one or two a day, and which I love. 
So I do research about the authors. I read. I read a lot um, on the weekends to kind of stock up for the week because uh, there's just so much email, right? Like, don't you feel like you're, I just feel like I have so many emails all the time. And then I host a book club. So that's every other Tuesday. I recently started a magazine on Medium called Moms Don't Have Time to Write. So I read those submissions. I'm producing a second anthology. So I get to read those essays and work on that. I have two children's books coming out and the stuff has begun to start for those as well. And I don't know, there's just a lot of stuff, big stuff and little stuff. And then I write. So I write a column weekly for my own publication. And then I write for every month I do the GMA list and I write for the Washington Post. And I don't know, I just like keep going. I just keep (laughs) going. I don't know how else to say it. It sounds like my life. I sometimes feel like I'm just a machine, but I like what I do. And that makes it a lot easier to be that machine. And it sounds like you're so passionate and you love what you do. We're going to take a break for our sponsor, and then we're going to come back and talk about your brand new book, Moms Don't Have Time To. So we'll be right back. Okay, we are back with Zibby Owens, and we're talking about her book, Moms Don't Have Time To, fill in the blank. She does have some suggested chapters about what moms don't have time to do. And that would include read. Yeah, we get that. Work out, we get that. Eat, like to say we don't have time to eat. Have sex. Yeah, we get that. And breathe. Moms don't have time to breathe. And she has more than 60 essays in here from well-known authors about what they don't have time to do. So Zibby, I was reading it and I thought, This is such a great historical record of what it was like at this moment in time at the beginning of the pandemic and then many months into the pandemic with people facing homeschooling and quarantine and everything else. And I thought people are going to feel so much less alone after reading these stories because they reflect our common experiences and feelings during the quarantine. So, but I do have to say one thing to you. As I was reading your book, I started thinking about what it was like to raise kids because mine are grown now. They're in their early 30s. And I I realized that raising a kid is a bit like going through an 18-year quarantine, (laughs) right? I mean, because basically you're like, I I can't go out. I'm stuck at home. You know, like you're... It is a bit like being in quarantine for 18 solid years. Yeah, it was, some of it wasn't even that different from my real life. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like my real life isn't that different, except I just don't drive to the office now and then sit inside the whole day. But <laughs> there were some stories that I just thought were so motivational. And like there's one, it's on page 28. It's by Tiffany Schlain. And it's about how her family takes a technology Sabbath every Saturday and they turn off all their screens. I just thought that was such a good idea. Yeah, she wrote a whole book about that. And even after reading her book called 24-6, The Power of Unplugging, and after sitting with her and interviewing her and meeting her multiple times, every time I'm like, okay, Tiffany, this week I'm gonna try it. (laughs) And yet I have yet to try to pull off a whole day without technology. I'm gonna, I'm trying for like an hour. That's like a good metric. (laughs) You know, I don't even know how you could do it with four enemy combatants in your house. Like there's no way you're going to get four kids to take a technology Sabbath. But also, you know, when people send you a text message, they just seem to think that you're supposed to answer it right away, you know, versus an email that you can let sit for a little while. Now, there was another one that I thought was a really good idea. It was on page 60. It was by Dylan Loren, and it was about aqua jogging and other exercising in the pool 
And I was thinking, oh, that's such a good idea because when our pool is open in the summer, you know, like I have to go swim laps and then I don't know, I just can't motivate myself to do it. But if I could just go in the pool and do the exercises, I mean, I might just go in then. I I just thought there were so many really doable, actionable ideas like this in the book. Are you hearing that from the people who have been the early readers of it? I am. And Dylan's essay in particular, she has actually like come over and taught me aqua aerobics with some friends at times. Um, so I knew that she loved doing that. And you're right. It's it's really fun just to try something new. Sometimes the thought of working out is so monotonous when I think of doing what I always do, but mixing it up has you know huge benefits. And I think that's one of the things with all the, not only the workout essays, but all of them, it's sort of how to have a slightly different point of view on the same things that you go through, right? Everybody has a light, a little bit of a different take. And I think that's one of the, the things that readers can take away from this. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot like a chicken soup for the soul book because you're getting great ideas from so many different people that a few of them are bound to seem doable with you and resonate with you. And that's what I love about anthologies is that you're, you always come away with something that is going to change your life. And even if it's just a little tweak, That's how you come up with big changes in your life, which is through little tweaks along the way. Now, you wrote some stories also, which I loved. And I love the one that you wrote about how you found that you've been really fit, but it doesn't mean that you're going to weigh less. And that's a lesson that women have to understand that when you are very fit, that doesn't mean you're going to reach that weight goal. I guess really because muscle weighs more than fat, you're probably going to start weighing more when you get fit. Do not want people to think I am so muscular that that is where my weight comes from. That is totally not true. In fact, I, right before this podcast, I was upstairs with my daughter doing her gym class for remote school. And she was like, wow, I think you're more out of shape than I am. And I was like, hey. And she's like, what does out of shape even mean? And I was like, okay, let's keep it at that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like huffing and puffing. I think the the main point I was trying to make is just that after all these years of sort of battling the scale, yes, I am relatively fit, not particularly great these days, but you know, I like to exercise and move and I'm relatively, you know, athletic, but it's not reflected on the scale. And that's probably because I eat so <laughs> so many desserts and basically whatever I want these days, but that after years of this, I'm just so tired of fighting the scale. However, I did recently start Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight when I was trying to lose all this pandemic weight that I put on. So I'm doing that collectively. And I think as a group, we've lost hundreds of pounds now. Um, So it's nice having a community to, to battle the bulge with, I have to say. Yeah, it's great having an accountability partner. That really makes a difference. Totally. I've done that in the past. I've gone on diets where I teamed up with a friend or a family member, and then we answered to each other. And that helped us to stay on the path. But also at some point you just say, hey, this is my body and I'm just going to make this body as healthy as it could be. It's not someone else's body, you know? Yep, exactly. So there was also a story I love from Wendy Walker because she's written for us and she co-authored some Chicken Soup for the Soul books. I love this story she wrote about how she doesn't need a man She Mm -hmm. said, like, it's like when you walk by items in the grocery store that would taste really good, but you just don't need them. So you don't buy them. And I thought, what a great lesson. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's a widow about this. And she said, exactly. Like, there's all this pressure. You have to go and get a man, but you don't have to go and get a man if you don't want one. And so I thought that was a really good story also and would help a lot of women reading the book. 
I agree. And especially because she was also saying that she wanted to be home with her son before he left home for good. And that that time wasn't going to last forever. And having a teenage son, he was the man she kind of wanted to be with right then. And maybe there was nothing wrong with that, that there's a time and a place. So I think it took her, she felt off the hook, right? That she didn't have to be constantly searching and whatever. And she's like, no, this is the man I want to be with now. Yeah. I mean, it makes total sense. So there's a lot of reassurance in the book as well. And, you know, everybody's focused now on self-care and me time. And Zulily did that survey among its customers. And more than half of them said that what they wanted for Valentine's Day was me time, not, not an object that cost money. They just wanted me time. Are there any stories in the book where the writers really discussed how they managed to find their way to proper self-care or equilibrium or me time? I mean, I think people did it in all different ways. Some of the workout section was about that, like Sarah Shepard, for instance, who would run so much for self-care. I even had one in there about my running at the beginning to deal with my anxiety. I think exercise was definitely a big a big thing. But also in the breathe section, there are a lot of different ways people are, are just trying to you know catch their breath, whether it's yoga or even if it's regular TV watching, like watching the Gilmore Girls with your daughter, like Christina Geist did, that there's just something in the ritual that is a treat and that is not part of the things you have to do. Yeah, everybody has to find their own. I mean, I tried meditation. That was the most boring waste of time. And I, I hated it. <laughs> I'm sure you're not a meditator either. I am not. I cannot sit still. I wish I could. I just, there's just no way, but I'm happy to like go for a walk with the dog for half an hour and like race around. Although I still listen to usually audiobooks while I'm doing that, you know. <laughs> me too. Me yeah. too. I mean, I have to be doing at least two things at the same time. Well, I'm so excited that your book came out the same day as our book. I highly recommend Moms Don't Have Time To by Zibby Owens. I think everybody will find something really useful in its pages. So thank you so much for coming on today, Zippy. How will people be able to find you on the internet? On the internet, I am at zibbyowens.com, Z-I-B-B-Y-O-W-E-N-S, zibbyowens.com. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and basically everywhere. But you can start at the website and that will that will get you. And then also the podcast is Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And then I have a podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight and a publication on Medium called Moms Don't Have Time to Write. I can't even imagine what you're going to come up with next. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us. To everybody out there, thanks for joining Zibby Owens and me today to talk about books and quarantining and making time for ourselves and our families. Come back for our next episode to hear about family connections again but this time through miraculous coincidence, including a woman who hadn't seen her father for decades until the Santa at the mall recognizes her and starts crying. That's one of two amazing stories I'll be sharing from our new book about miracles and divine intervention. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.